Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Chronicles 4 and 1 Kings 7? We will compare this pretty much as just to marvel at what is written in description of the temple that Solomon built. There's a little insertion here to begin with about his building himself a palace. It took him longer to build his palace than it did to build the temple. But that's not saying that he was more interested in his palace. It is saying that he diverted most labor and funds to the temple until it was done, which would have delayed his palace a bit. But uh, it's a fascinating passage to me because of the I'm, I'm much better in Greek than I am Hebrew, and I enjoy both of them. And these, are, these were words, this was a, a challenging study to me uh, to look at and uh, then to reference several rabbis as to how they translated some of these words. Uh, and that's just to say that it's just a rich it's, it's hard to appreciate the richness of this passage uh, without making a statement of, of the uh, diverse uh, Hebrew verbiage that's in, in the original text here. And it was really something that took quite a long time to go through and uh, and put it into the English like I think, hopefully, it uh, certainly deserves. But we start this study in 1 Kings tonight, 7, and we'll be back and forth between 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles with uh, <clears throat> the insertion of the record of how Solomon built a palace for himself. And these are in the first 12 verses of 1 Kings 7, so let's look at it together. Solomon built his house 13 years and he finished all of his house. And he built the house of the forest of Lebanon. 100 cubits was its length, 50 cubits its breadth, and 30 cubits its height on four rows of cedar pillars and cut beams of cedar upon the pillars. And it was covered with cedar above on the walls which were on 45 pillars, 15 in each row. There were windows in three rows and each window was opposite the other uh, window three times. And all the entrances and posts were square and also the window and each window was opposite the other window three times. And he made the porch of pillars 50 cubits in its length, 30 cubits its breadth and a porch before them and pillars and thick beams uh, before them. <clears throat> and he made a porch for the throne where he might judge the porch of judgment. And it was covered with cedar from one side of the floor to the other. And his house he might dwell was in, in which he might dwell was in the other court, within the porch. And it was of like work, similar work. And the house which he would make for Pharaoh's daughter, whom Solomon had taken as a wife, was like this porch. So there's a there's a, this statement here that's added into the description of the entire palace, uh, which would give to us 
when Solomon initially took Pharaoh's daughter as his wife, and this was early on in his reign as king, she had a very special place. Of course, Pharaoh would have been an important um, ally for Israel. All these were of precious stones according to the measures of hewn stones, sawed with saws within and without from the foundation up the coping and from outside unto the great court. And the foundation was of precious stones, great stones, stones of 10 cubits and stones of eight cubits. And above were precious stones according to the measures of hewn stones and cedars. And the great court roundabout was of three rows of hewn stones and a row of cut beams of cedar and for the inner court of the house of Yahweh and for the porch of the house. Now, the important part of the study here is, of course, the temple. And we get to that. We pick up on that in the next passage here and bounce back and forth from 1 Kings to 2 Chronicles as they both pretty much describe the same thing, but in a little bit different fashion. We stop, though, to pause on the greatness of the palace of the greatest king in the world in that day. As it turns out, people sought the wisdom of Solomon, not just from within his kingdom, but from around the world. His palace would reflect his greatness. And I think rightfully so in that day. Here's why. The temple in many ways was, was much more splendid, though not as large, much more splendid than the palace. And they were in close proximity uh, to one another. But when one is drawn from anywhere in the world in that day, um, uh, an ambassador, another king, a queen, important people from everywhere, elders of the tribes, people who had difficult uh, cases before the court and they must come before Solomon and people from all around would observe and marvel at, uh, at his wisdom. When you think about that, then you, you can't separate Solomon's work as king, which would take place in the palace in close proximity to the temple. Can't separate that from the fact that he is the son of David, and that he has overseen and supervised this, this greatest construction that the world had ever known. No deity had ever known anything like this. You can even go to the pyramids. They were larger, and in many ways they were splendid, but they did not have the splendor of the temple. And we're going to see why in just a few minutes as we continue and go through not just the completed structure, which we've already, already done, but the things that went inside it. And then hopefully when I get through with this part, before we have our prayer, we're going to be able to go on that. That's excellent. Okay. Uh, I found a 3D animation that lasts, I don't know, four or five minutes, maybe three or four minutes, three minutes. But it, it takes us through uh, in a very in a very powerful way uh, in animation, it takes us through everything about Solomon's uh, temple so that the things that we study and look at here, and while th those things may be difficult to comprehend, 
we get a, we get a, a view of that in the animation of this little film that we're going to, this little video that we're going to put up on the screen uh, after we study the scriptures here. So when the people would come to the king of kings, Solomon, they would be coming to the king of the people of God and they would marvel at the temple mount at the most expensive and magnificent structure anyone had ever seen. Not because it was so much bigger or anything else, but because everything about it was perf in perfection. The, the most exquisite materials were used and everything, everything was covered in gold. It was just, it was magnificent. No deity in the world, no religion in the world could claim a, a temple like this. So it would naturally create, especially among the pagan kings and queens who had come to Solomon over the years for advice and counsel, it would especially awaken them to the reality of the true and living God. So his palace was splendid and, and we've seen how splendid it was. And it was in his palace where he had a, a throne room, a, a judgment room. And within that great hall, that room, that's where people would come to counsel and that's where the words of Solomon would be recorded by his scribes. So as, as impressive as his palace was, what they would see just a bit higher than the palace on just a, a mount just higher than the palace was the splendid, amazing, outstanding temple uh, that Solomon was commissioned by Yahweh to build for his people. So it sort of blends the two together when you think of the palace of the king of kings and the God of the king of kings and the, and the God whom the people of God worship and what their worship means. Everything in there means something. The inscriptions, the engravings, uh, the articles, the artifacts, the instruments, vessels, everything about it has a wonderful meaning with regard to the worship of Yahweh. I have lost, there it is. Did I do that or did you? Okay. The work of Hiram. So we're still in 1 Kings 7 and we just continue from where we were. King Solomon sent and fetched Hiram out of Tyre. He was a widow's son of the tribe of Naphtali and his father was a man of Tyre. So you see Hiram was half Israelite. His mother an Israelite, his father a Gentile of Tyre, a coppersmith. And he was filled with the wisdom and understanding and skill to work all works in copper. And he came to King Solomon and wrought all of his work. So Hiram was prepared in all of his life for the greatest work that a craftsman could ever do on the greatest structure that the world had ever known. He couldn't have known that through his life. But as the Spirit of God blessed him, he became the best craftsman to be used like this, uh, the best one in the world. So we start here, we're continuing 1 Kings 7, and we start with the description of the pillars 
of bronze. That would have been to the entranceway of the temple building, uh, the outer court, the temple building. We'll, we'll see more about that here in a few minutes. The pillars of bronze. And he cast two pillars of copper or of bronze. 18, in, 18 cubits was the height of each pillar. And a line of 12 cubits did encompass about it, it about. And so the other pillar. And he made two chapters. That, that word means crowns. Uh, the, the crown, the top of the, of the pillar. To set upon the tops of the pillars of molten copper. Five cubits was the height of the one crown and five cubits was the height of the other. Nets of checker work, wreaths of chain work for the crowns or chapters which were upon the top of the pillars, seven for the one and seven for the other of those two crowns. And he made the pillars two rows round about upon the one network to cover the crowns that were upon the top with pomegranates. And so he did for the other uh, crown as well. You'll see when we get to this uh, 3D animation, you'll see uh, what this is talking about and really how magnificent it was. And the chapters, the crowns that were upon the tops of the pillars were of lily work in porch, four cubits, and uh, there were chapters above also upon the two pillars over and against the belly, which was by the network, and the pomegranates, which were 200 in rows, round about upon each crown. Now, the, of course, this is the engravings and the, the really fine artistic work. And he set up the pillars in the porch of the temple and he did set up the right pillar and he called it the name of Jachin, Yachin. And he set up the left pillar and he called the name thereof Boaz. And they each have a name. It speaks, it speaks of the, the mightiness and the strength uh, of, of God to do his will. And upon the top of the pillars was lily work. So the work of the pillars was finished. Now we're over in second Chronicles chapter four, and this is where the chronicler begins his account. And he begins his account with the altar and the sea of brass or of bronze chapter four, first five verses. And he made the copper altar 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 10 cubits high, and he made the cast bronze sea, 10 cubits from brim to brim. And it was round all about. The height thereof was five cubits and the line of the 30 cubits it encompassed round about. This big, huge urn, this bowl, big thing. Um, and it had, uh, it had water in it. It was for cleansing, especially for the priests. And the likeness of oxen beneath it, round about encompassing it. 10 cubits encompassing the sea round about and the oxen were cast into in two rows when it was cast. So these are like cows with horns, right? And you have three, 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 and three. They face on four directions and resting on their backs, this huge urn, this sea, this cast bronze sea. So let's read about it a little further. It stood on 12 oxen, three facing northward, three facing westward, three facing southward, and three facing eastward. And the sea was above them. And all their hind parts were inward. So it was their, the forepart of their bodies, heads, horns, shoulders, were facing outward. 
and their inwards were under the urn and facing each other on the inside. So the hind parts were inward. Its thickness, this big urn, this brass thing, was a hand breadth, and its brim was like the work of the brim of a cup with flowers of lilies. It contained baths. Now that's a measure. A bath is a, is a measure. It contained 3,000. I don't know what yours was, 3,000 baths. That doesn't mean that you can take 3,000 baths and then you got to change the water. That's not what that means. It means that it contains 3,000 of a unit of measurement, 3,000 of them, okay? Now let's back over to 1 Kings 7 and verse 23. And he made the cast bronze sea 10 cubits from brim to brim, and it was round all about, and the height thereof was five cubits, and the line of the 30 cubits did compass or composite around about. And under the brim there were ornamental buds compassing it round about for 10 cubits, compassing the sea round about. The ornamental buds were cast in two rows when it was cast. And it stood on the 12 oxen, three looking toward the north, three toward the west, three toward the south, and three looking toward the east. And the sea was set upon them above, and all of their hinder parts were inward. Same thing that the other writer had said. And it was a handbreadth thick, and the brim thereof was wrought like the brim of a cup with flowers of lilies, and it contained 2,000 measures, or baths. It's the same word. Now back to 1 Kings 7, and we look at the 10 bases. 10 bases are carts. It's another word for a cart. Um, and there were five on each side, and they each had a measure of water in them. Uh, four cubits was the length of one base or one cart, and four cubits its breadth, and three cubits its height. And the work of the carts was in this manner. They had borders, and the borders or panels were between the ledges, and on the panels or borders were between the ledges were lions, oxen, cherubim, and on the ledges there was a base above or a, a cart above, and beneath the lions and oxen were wreaths of plated work. I just take my word for it. When you try to get the right word for all of those words, it's a, it's a challenge uh, to, to really just get an idea of what you're looking at. And each cart had four copper wheels and axles of copper, and the four corners thereof had supports under the laver, the supports were of cast bronze uh, uh, at, the each, at, at the side of each were wreaths. So here are carts and there's a smaller urn with water and that cart of course is on wheels and there are five on either side of the temple. The mouth of it within the crown and above was a cubit and the mouth thereof was round and after the work of, the, of a base or a pedestal, a cubit and a half and also upon its mouth were engravings and their panels were four square and they were not round. And the four wheels were underneath the panels and the axles of the wheels were in the cart and the height of each wheel was a cubit and a half a cubit. And the work of the wheels was like the work of a chariot wheel. Their axle pins and their rims and their spokes and their hubs were all cast bronze. And there were four supports at the four corners of each cart and the supports were of the cart itself. We're talking bronze here. So this is where man is dealt with, the things of man, and that's, that's why it's brass. Now when you get to where God is, it's gold. 
and uh, we're headed that way. At the top of the cart, there was a round compass of half a cubit high, and on the top of the base, it, our cart, its ledges and its panels were of, one, were of one piece of it. And he engraved on the plates and on the ledges on its panels, cherubim, lions and palm trees, according to the attachment of each, with wreaths round about. After this manner, he made the 10 carts. There was one casting, one measure, and one size to all of them. And now we go to the basins, the, the bronze bowls themselves, the basins. We'll start with 1 Kings 7, and then we'll move after those two verses to see what the chronicler says. So it's in 1 Kings 7, verses 38 and 39. He made 10 lavers of brass. Each laver contained 40 measures or baths. And every laver was four cubits, one laver upon each of the 10 carts. And he set the carts, five on the right side of the house of God, of the temple, and five on the left side of the house. And he set the sea on the right side of the house eastward toward the Negev, which is toward the, the desert. Now here's what uh, Chronicles says. First Chronicles 4, beginning in verse 6. He made 10 lavers and he placed five on the right, five on the left, and uh, to wash with them. The performance of the burnt offering, they would rinse with them, and the sea was for the priests to wash therein. So the smaller basins, the smaller bowls had their work job, their job to do, and the bigger one for the priests. And he made the 10 golden lampstands according to their design, and he placed five in the temple, five from the right and five from the left. So when it says according to their design, he goes back to the book of Exodus and uses the same design that was, that was given in Exodus for the tabernacle. And he made 10 tables and placed them in the temple, five from the right, five from the left, and he made 100 golden bowls. Now, the courts, and that's only, that's only described in 2 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And he made the priest's court and the large court the doors for the forecourt, and he overlaid their doors with copper or bronze, brass. And he placed the sea from the right side eastward opposite toward the southeast. So that's, that's the description of the courts. Now, the vessels and the instruments of brass. So we're, we're moving closer in to the holy place itself. Uh, beginning in Second Chronicles 4, and then we See what First King says. And Hiram made the pots, shovels, bowls, and Hiram finished doing the work that he did for King Solomon in the house of Elohim, the house of God. Two pillars and the two bowls and crowns atop the pillars and the networks were to cover the two bowls of the crowns which were atop the pillars. And the 400 pomegranates uh, for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates to one network, to cover the two bowls of the crowns which were before the pillars. And he made the carts and he made the lavers on the carts, the one sea, the one sea, and the 12 oxen that were under the sea bearing it up. And the pots and the shovels and the forks and all their vessels, his father Hiram uh, made for King Solomon for the house of Yahweh of burnished copper, polished brass, burnished copper. In the plain of the Jordan, the king had cast them in the thickness of the molds between Schoth and Zeredetah. 
And Solomon made all these vessels of great abundance for the weight of the copper was not determined. It was so much of it, nobody took the time to weigh it. Now here's what 1 Kings says about that in verse chapter 7, beginning in verse 40. And Haram made the lavers and the shovels, the bowls, and Haram finished doing all the work which he did for King Solomon in the house of Yahweh. The two pillars and the two bowls of the chapters, the crowns that were uh, on the top of the pillars and the two networks to cover the two bowls of the crowns which were on the top of the pillars. And the 400 pomegranates for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the two bowls of the crowns that were upon the pillars and the 10 carts and the 10 lavers and the carts and the one sea and the 12 oxen under the sea. And the pots, shovels, bowls, and all these vessels which Hiram made for King Solomon in the house of Yahweh were of bright copper, that is burnished bronze. In the plain of the Jordan did the king cast them in the thick clay molds between Sechoth and Tzaretim. And Solomon left all the vessels unweighed because there were very, very many. Therefore, the weight of the copper was not found out or was not discovered. Now we move from the instruments of brass to the instruments of gold. And we stay with 1 Kings chapter 7. And Solomon made all of the vessels that were in the house of Yahweh, the altar of gold and the table whereupon the showbread was, that is of gold, and the candlesticks, the lampstands, five on the right side and five on the left before the sanctuary of pure gold. And the flowers and the lamps and the tongs of the wick trimmers were of gold. And the basins and the trimmers and the bowls and the ladles and the censors of pure gold and the hinges for the door. How many of you thought that said ladies? Ladies room. That's not it. It's ladles. And censors of pure gold and the hinges for the doors of the inner room, the most holy place. And for the doors of the main hall, that is of the temple, all of that of gold. And all the work that King Solomon had wrought in the house of Yahweh was finished. And Solomon uh, brought in the things which David, his father, had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the vessels, and he put them in the treasuries of the house of uh, Yahweh. Here's what 1 Chronicles 4 says about the gold. Solomon made all these vessels which were in the house of Elohim, the gold altar, the tables, the showbread upon them. The candelabra, or the lampstands, their lamps to kindle them as required before the debir of refined gold. That's the best gold. And the flower and the lamps and the tongs were gold and it was fine gold. And the musical instruments, and that's one of those words that could mean a lot of things. And the basins, or the bowls and the spoons, and the censer of refined gold, and the entrance to the house, its inner doors to the Holy of Holies, and the doors of the house to the temple were gold. Now, Take out your paper and your pencils and draw those things. That's tough, isn't it? I mean, this is, this is fine work. And this guy, Haram, he worked on all of it. So what we're going to do then is to look at this brief 3D and all of those things that I talked about, maybe they'll come to your mind and say, oh, so that's what it looks like, you know, uh, as we said, you ready? Okay, hit it.
That's the altar, brass altar where the sacrifices would be burned, offered. There's the sea, the oxen. The lavers, five on each side. The carts, the pillars. Pomegranates, the network, the engravings of the door to the temple. This is a holy place. Only the priests could go in here. The lampstands, altar of incense, it was gold. Entranceway to the Holy of Holies. Ark of the Covenant, the Cherubim. So I know you, you, that's exactly how you thought it looked, right? When, when we read the scriptures. Magnificent structure. The presence of God among his people. The worship of God's people. To God a very, very special thing uh, that showed the, the glory of Yahweh to the entire world. Well, all right, we'll stop there and we'll have deacon prayer time.